Good morning, everyone, and a very happy new year, and a warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Uh, this morning, our service will be led by our Minister Katrina, and if you have any difficulty seeing the screen from where you're seated, remember that absolutely everything you need for the service is on your order of service, so you'll find it there. Please stay and have some tea or coffee with us after this service. Uh, just go out of the door, turn left, and away you go. Thank you, Anne. And a happy new year to everybody who I haven't already said it to, and those I have, you can have another one. <laughs> Our call to worship this morning comes from the letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to sing together our first hymn of praise, which is one that is a kind of a gathering one, and I think is fairly appropriate for the start of a new year. For all the love that from our earliest days has gladdened life and guarded all our ways, sorry, we bring thee, Lord, our song of grateful praise. Alleluia. And if you're able and would like to, you're invited to stand as we sing. <coughs> Oh, 
And so we're going to come to God in prayer. And we're back into our usual rhythm of multi-voiced Lord's prayers in many languages. Uh, those who were able to worship with us on Christmas Day will recall that we were in Calvin Side Hill Head. And I was asked to lead the Lord's Prayer. But nobody had told me how they said it. So I announced what we do. And we got the usual wonderful blend of different languages and versions. So I will lead us in a prayer and then we join together in the Lord's Prayer, in our own first languages and our own most familiar versions. Loving God, on this new day, at the start of this new year, we meet in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to worship you. It's good to be together again after the dispersal of the last couple of weeks. Good to catch up on news, to share stories, to reconnect with each other and with you. It is good to sing your praises and to listen for your voice in words of scripture. It is good to bring focus to our hearts and to focus our hearts and minds heavenward as we pause from the busyness of our daily lives. Even as we delight in being together, and even as we share in worship, we are aware that we've come to this moment ill-prepared. Our minds are cluttered with thoughts and ideas. Our hearts are overflowing with feelings and concerns. Our bodies carry within them the burdens of daily life. And so we pause, still and silent in your presence, allowing the flurry of internal activity to ebb away, letting go of external stimuli that distract and disturb. God, whose voice is heard in silence, Christ, who rests peacefully amid the storm. Spirit, whose presence is observed in the hovering wings of a dove, draw us into that quiet place of calm. And so, stilled and embraced like a weaned child held safely on their parents' lap, we pray to you in the words Jesus taught his followers, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
We're going to watch a short video now. Um, before Paul panics, there is no sound on this video. Watch carefully and see if you can work out what this video might be. Anita's straight in there. Go on then, Anita. Anybody else? Go on. It's the Lord's Prayer. It is. It's the Lord's Prayer in British Sign Language. Would you like to watch it again? Right, I'll have chaos if I could get it to go again. See if you can work out where it's going this time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give to us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Some interesting signs there, weren't there? I like the one for bread, where you're kind of cutting the bread. I'm not so sure about the one for the devil, because that looks like a cat to me, but there you go. <laughs> The devil is the deliverer and lead us not into temptation. Really interesting, some of those signs. And there's no one way to sign the Lord's Prayer. Um, different deaf people will sign it in their own ways. But I thought we could have a go at kind of action prayers in a song. So we're going to use Thank You, Lord, for this new day. And we'll sing that and the chorus. And then we're going to have up to three verses that you choose but we'll do thank you God for, and then we'll do an action. Okay, so three things you'd like to say thank you to God for in three separate verses with an action. Anybody got any ideas, particularly people under 18, really, to start with? Anything you'd like to say thank you to God for that you think you could do an action? I know it's the new year and you've had a couple of weeks off. Anybody? Oh, anybody over 18 then? This could be embarrassing. Do you not want to say thank you to God for anything? That's a bit worrying. Food. Food. Okay, so what could you do for food? Like food to eat? Okay. So the third verse will be food to eat, if we can remember that one. Thank you. Sorry. Second verse will be food to eat. Thanks, Ken. Okay, so food. Paul. Friends. Friends. What do you want to, how would you like to symbolise friends? Okay, like a hug? Okay. And Graham, you had one. National Health Service. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> N. H. Yes. Oh, well, Siren, that's good. Yeah, that's better than me trying to fig, fig, finger spell NHS. Okay, so it'll be, thank you, God, for... And that one. Thank you, God, for... And thank you, God, for... You could even go, woo, 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 couldn't you, when we get to the siren? I think we should have a siren. And we'll do the chorus after the first verse and after the last verse. Um, does that make sense? We'll see what happens. Thanks, Paul.
Our first reading this morning is from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. And from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be using some extracts from the Gospel of Luke, as well as a few other bits and bobs of the Bible, to help us reflect a bit on the topic of prayer. I think it's probably fair to say that prayer is one aspect of Christian discipleship, both public and personal, that many and probably most people find difficult. In any of the churches I've been part of, and that's quite a few over the years, the most difficult rotor to fill is always the one from, for intercessory prayer, closely followed by the one for vestry prayer, it has to be said, but especially the one for intercessory prayer. I recall very well the first time that I was asked to do intercessory prayer for the weekly college service. It took me a whole weekend of writing and rewriting and crossing out and changing to end up with something that I felt was good enough to use in public. 
More recently, the evening before we closed our building for redevelopment, I led a last walk around with a short prayer in each room. Around about 20 of us took part in that. And I said to them, as I now say to you, it took me over an hour to come up with 22 words for the prayer that we would use in each room. Fear of getting it wrong, of being too simplistic or too complicated, of being naive or cynical, of offending other worships or voicing inappropriate expectations of God, all these can combine to make those who are willing enough to take on this role unduly anxious. The weight of responsibility can make it nigh on impossible to enjoy this privilege of shaping the prayers of other people. Like preaching, leading public prayer is an aspect of corporate worship where there can sometimes be a celebration of style over content. What do I mean by that? Well, it's amazing how often when I come back from a weekend away that I will be greeted with the news that the preacher last week didn't use a single note. They did the whole thing away from the lectern. As if somehow me with my bits of paper and holding on to the lectern is not quite so good. Now, I'm sure that's not what's meant, but that's how it can feel to me. And if it can feel to me like that about preaching... I'm sure it feels like that to others who are brave enough to come out and lead us in prayer. There is suspicion by some people that anything you take out of a book must be somehow a little bit less spiritual than anything that you do completely extempore, off the top of your head. Sloppy language where, and I've heard this at Baptist Assembly, a prayer begins, yes and God who is implored to really just fix a problem or accept our praises. On the other hand, there is a snobbery that perceives eloquent language as somehow more proper than a ribbon tied to a twig or a cross, or the post-it note on which a small child has drawn a stick person, and so on and so forth. Rather than participating in prayer, we can risk becoming pew critics, finding flaws in what other people offer, or we can become dumbstruck congregants, unable to give our voice to our thoughts and our concerns. So why has this happened? If, as people of all faiths, and even some of none, in fact, believe, prayer is important and healthy and helpful, and at the end of the day, normal and natural, why is it that we end up anxious and stressed and wanting to do practically anything else but pray? Put me on the flower rotor, put me on the coffee rotor, but don't, whatever you do, put me on the prayer rotor. I think there are lots of reasons. Partly the institutionalisation of religion, which has resulted in formalised patterns of worship, and going back in history, only liturgies approved by those in authority were permitted. And then they were imposed on uneducated, often illiterate believers, who in some traditions, even to this day, 
have to pray in languages they don't understand. Small wonder that the Protestant reformers swung the pendulum so far in the opposite direction, banning written prayers and using only the vernacular. Even if in so doing, they created a whole new set of challenges. It all seems an awfully long way from first century disciples asking their rabbi to help them formulate their prayers. Or does it? Lord, teach us to pray. Or, if slightly rephrased, how should I pray? The response recorded in the Gospels of Luke, which we heard, and Matthew as well, is not an explanation of the mechanics of prayer. Actually, it's an example of what a prayer might contain. Instead of an answer to the question, how should I pray? It seems we have an example of, what should I pray? And we'll come back to that very briefly later on. But first, I have a suspicion that in exploring the how question before the what question, we just might begin to understand something of what it is about prayer that makes it so stressful and challenging for all of us, or most of us. And especially for those who lead or facilitate prayer in our services. And why, if we're honest, private prayer, by which I mean also reflection and meditation, can fall by the wayside as an unrewarding enterprise. So just for a moment, let's think about the 12 men and undoubtedly a few women, whose names we know, who are likely to have been gathered together when the question, how should I pray, was asked. They were, as we all know fine well, a motley crew. There was Thomas, always asking questions, demanding evidence before he could believe. And Simon Peter, whose impetuous nature could see him grasping profound truths one moment and being sternly castigated by Jesus the next. And then there was James and John, always wanting to be number one and squabbling. Mary of Magdala, the woman who we know was beset probably by mental health issues. Joanna and Susanna, high-class, respectable wives of synagogue leaders who helped to fund the Jesus movement. Philip, Judas, Andrew, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and possibly even Lazarus, Lazarus, Martha and Mary from Bethany. Each very different from the others, and all of them eager to get this praying thing right. Recognising and naming the diversity of these early believers is important because it legitimates and validates the diversity that's found in every community of faith, every church. And it seems to me it's a good place to begin our exploration of the question, how should I pray? Way back in the 1980s, when I was starting out in industry, there was huge interest in the emerging field of personality tests. When I worked for Rolls-Royce, where I didn't work for ever so long, it has to be said, 
they were trying to identify the Rolls-Royce personality. Apparently, I didn't have it, which might be why I left. But they were convinced, I think wrongly, that a cohort of similar people would be a good thing. A decade or so later, a Myers-Briggs tests were all the rage, with churches and theological colleges beginning to employ them as a means of helping clergy or ministers in training to become more self-aware. And there was even some research trying to explore whether different denominations attracted people of a specific personality type. When I was training for ministry, we completed questionnaires for Myers-Briggs and then for the Enneagram, another tool, discovering that whilst seemingly same on one scale, people could be vastly different on another. And then later on, as I was training to be a ministry mentor, up it popped again. Know thyself that you might know others, basically. And that was before we even began thinking about learning styles. Time moves on and fashions change. Theories are discredited and new ones emerge. The pseudoscience of personality testing and the tidy categories of learning styles have largely fallen from favour. But I think the fault doesn't lie with the tools themselves, which I think do have a value, but the mistaken view that humans are uncomplicated creatures whose personalities and learning styles can be neatly identified, labelled and fixed. If you are this personality and you learn that way, this is the way it will be, some people say. And it's never going to be as simple as that. What I find more interesting and for our purposes more relevant is work that's been done within Christian churches to explore correlations between personality types and, to a lesser extent, learning styles and both spirituality and prayer. It's hardly rocket science but it can be incredibly liberating and empowering for a person to discover that the reason they find a particular approach to prayer difficult is at least in part because it doesn't suit them. It can also be incredibly helpful to those who lead public prayer to realise they don't have to do it the way somebody else does in order for it to be good enough. It's just different. And that is totally, 100% fine. Understanding our own personalities and preferences ought both to help us to be more confident in who we are and to enable us to delight in the diversity of expression others may bring. Whether it's words or symbols, actions or movements, music or silence, all of it can be powerful and authentic. One size really doesn't fit all, and variety can be the spice of life. So, I'm wondering if you're up for a very quick, rough and ready exercise to explore how prayer for you might become a little bit more enjoyable and meaningful, or at least a bit less anxious and intimidating. So, I've brought you a little questionnaire which I stole from the 24-7 prayer website, which some of you may be familiar with, others won't. 
Uh, Morag, would you just hand out some pens to people? It's very simple. You don't have to think hard. 11 questions, multiple choice. And you simply put a ring around the answer on each question that most immediately feels close to how you think. They're not going to be perfect. You might think there are a couple that are like you. You might think none are like you. But the nearest one on each section. And then when you've done them all, you just quite simply tot up how many A's, how many B's, how many C's, how many D's. And then we'll tell you who your ideal boyfriend is. Oh, no, that can't be quite right, can it? So just look down the list, and for each question, on your own, not discussing it with anybody. Sorry that I miss people. I am so sorry. That's trying to do it side to side. So it's just completely personal, no need to discuss it. Just for each question, which answer seems the most like you? And just put a circle around it. There's no right answer, there's no wrong answer. Don't think too hard about it. And if there's something that just doesn't work, a question just doesn't connect, that's fine. Just miss it out. And then just see which letter you have, if any, the most of. And you don't need to show it to anybody because it's purely for your own interest. When you've done that, if you want to just flip over to the back of that sheet. So based on the answers you come up with, the 24-7 prayer people have some suggestions about which gospel out of the four might be more your thing and of a saint whose prayer style might be more helpful for you than others. So if you happened to pick mostly C's, they suggest that the gospel that you might enjoy the most would be Mark, which is quite fast, quite pithy, quite to the point. He doesn't waste time on a lot of flowery language. It's also likely, they suggest, that you might find you engage better with the natural world, that actually going for a walk, enjoying nature, is a helpful way for you to pray or to connect with God. On the other hand, if you picked mostly these, then they suggest that perhaps the Gospel of John would be more up your street and that you might be attracted to forms of prayer that exercise your intellect, exploring questions and seeking understanding. The important thing is that none of the options is better and none of them is more grown up or more mature. You're not a better Christian because you like big ideas than you are because you like going for a walk. You're just a different Christian and that's okay. And it could be that you just got a hodgepodge of letters, which is fine because that means you're free to do any of them and that's good too.
So then, how we pray is as in individual as we are. There's not one right way or wrong way to do it. What matters is that we do do it and continue to try to do it, seeking to find the ways to energise and encourage us, recognising that sometimes we have to set aside our own preferences, at least in public worship, in order for other people to have theirs exercised. Some people find long, complicated, wordy prayers really helpful. Other people would rather do a picture. And sometimes we will do either of those in worship. And that's okay. And if it's not your thing, then maybe next week will be. So lastly, we return to our Bible readings and two very different examples of short spoken prayers that have been treasured for thousands of years. Why are they so precious? Why do people still use them, people who are trying to follow Jesus? Why is it that even people who claim they do not believe in God will turn to them in times of need? I have a friend who claims to be an atheist who sometimes says the Lord's Prayer. There's something about it that connects with something deeply inside. I think it's partly because these are quite simple prayers. They're not complicated. There's no carefully worked out theology in there. They express faith and hope and trust offered to God who has given us our own unique personality and who loves us as we are. The pattern that Jesus offered his followers is pretty straightforward. It starts with praise. It goes on to petition or supplication or please, whichever you prefer. Then confession and finally confident trust. The blessing offered by Aaron to the people of Israel, which we use at infant blessings, baptisms, marriages and funerals, is as beautiful as it is profound and as simple as it is timeless. Just a prayer to ask God to watch over those we love. Whether we're more naturally drawn to the spirituality of Ignatius or Augustine, Francis or Thomas, whether we are energised by external stimuli or internal reflection, whether we are people who follow our head, our heart or our gut, or any other way you might like to try to explain or understand your personality. Prayer is a gift which we should be able to experience and enjoy, not just endure. Short and sweet, focused and natural in a style that feels comfortable. It doesn't mean it's going to become easy, but hopefully a bit less stressful and a bit more rewarding. May the Lord bless us and keep us just as we are in our individual uniqueness and collective diversity. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us as we continue to travel our journey in the footsteps of Jesus, sometimes getting it right and other times getting it horribly wrong. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. 
in our hearts, in our homes, in our world, now and always. Amen. When I was looking for hymns for today, I used my hymn software and I came across a really old hymn that's in the old Green Baptist hymn book about prayer. And it seems to express some of the differences, different things that can be prayer. It's a bit old-fashioned language, maybe, and some difficult concepts in there, but hopefully something that we will find helpful. It's quite long, um, and I think Paul's found a tune we know. Yep, thanks, Paul.
prayers of intercession this morning, we will use the structure of the Lord's Prayer, um, using thoughts and images which I've drawn from a variety of sources. So let us listen for God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven. Lord, how enticing it is to imagine heaven on earth. But lives are always endangered. Poverty still consumes more than one in five of all humanity. Hunger and disease destroy tens of millions. The bodies of young people are for sale. Mothers and fathers are migrating to foreign lands, seeking safety, freedom and dignity. And so, Lord, as we listen for you in our prayers this morning, we are confronted with the question, what must we do to help grant to all the experience of heaven on earth. Hallowed be your name. Lord, your name is holy and your people are holy. You created us in your image, but the dignity of many is crushed by those who suppress the poor by laws and rules. In your name, colonisers of all types have invaded foreign lands. In your name, they have burned and destroyed. In your name, people of all faiths have sought to justify violence. And so, Lord, we are confronted with the question, what must we do to help grant to all the dignity which should flow from being made in your image? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we know that your kingdom is a kingdom of love, of justice and of peace. A kingdom of righteousness and abundance for all. And yet we are so easily deceived by the standards of this world where unjust wars rule, the powerful, whether using economic or physical force, dominate. Let your will be done to hasten the vanishing of the pseudo-kingdoms of empire power until we can finally say heaven is possible here on earth.
And so, Lord, we are confronted with the question, what must we do to enable the advance of your kingdom in those areas of our lives in which we have influence? Give us each day our daily bread. Lord, the food that we eat today satisfies our hunger. But in many places on earth, those who grow the food have empty stomachs. How can we be happy when our body is full while many are wanting? We've been told that those who do not work should not eat, but how come those who work hard have too little to eat, while those who amass wealth by greed and plenty have plenty to throw away? May the daily food in which we partake be the communion of struggle and hope and be the food that is shared by all. And so, Lord, we're confronted with the question, what must we do to deliver the sacrament of food justice for all? Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, in this moment of prayer, we reflect, reflect critically on our own sin, on our words or actions that may have diminished the humanity of others, that have rejected the outsider, that have prevented us from fully embracing the other, that have stopped us from recognising the implications of our own power and privilege that have obscured the image of God as reflected in all his children. And so, Lord, in reflecting critically on our own sin, we are confronted with the question, what must we do to create the mindset that forgives others who may sin against us in similar ways. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but deliver us from evil. There can be evil in doing nothing. in observing with indifference, in refusing, often because of our own prejudices, to make the necessary sacrifices to help others. Lord, lead us not to resignation in our work for justice and peace, 
do not let cynicism rule us, but lead us to a deeper commitment to overcome all evil in our midst. Deliver us, we pray, from such collusion and lead us not into temptation. This morning we have reflected on our own relationship to prayer. And so, friends, gathered here this morning, if we want to make a prayer for forgiveness or of frustration, for healing or of searching faith, for ourselves or on behalf of another person, let us do that now in a moment of silence. Amen, and we continue our prayers in the giving of an offering. Loving God, we offer these gifts of money. Some from our savings, some from pensions, some from payment for work. All offered gladly and all offered into your service. So accept the gift and the giver, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen. Just before our last hymn, I have another bit of paper to give out to you. Um, it's said that many a true word is spoken in jest. 
and I found a little thing of Myers-Briggs personality type prayers. They are tongue-in-cheek, they're not to be taken too seriously, but um, if you find one that looks like you, if you know your Myers-Briggs personality type, you can look for the one that's you, and if you don't, you can find one that thinks, yeah, that kind of resonates with me, um, maybe that's roughly what your Myers-Briggs personality type is. Um, as I say, it's not rocket science, it's not to be taken too seriously. If nothing else, it'll give you something to have a chuckle about this afternoon. A bit of paper to write your shopping list on. And just maybe, just maybe in the humour, you might find the voice of God speaking to you. In a minute, when I wander back down, we will sing our closing hymn which is a hymn for New Year written by John Bell of the Iona community. And I think it sums up very much what we think we are about, what we are hoping to do and to be in this new year as we continue to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in this place. the calmness of this moment and return to the familiar hustle and bustle of daily life, 
May we know the blessing of God's love to surround us and God's peace to sustain us in every moment of every day.